from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. to be sitting here with uh, one of my favorite rabbis in the world, Rabbi Asher Lopatin. Thank you. Oh, you say that to all the rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for agreeing to sit down and talk to us here on the Cut Podcast. Good um, to be here. Can you just give a short introduction of yourself so people know who you are? Thank you. Yeah, my name is uh, Asher Lopatin, and I'm a modern Orthodox rabbi in uh, Chicago um, in actually a, a wonderful city synagogue that has a lot of people that wouldn't normally find their, themselves in an Orthodox synagogue. And many identify conservative or reform or unaffiliated. Uh, and it's just a synagogue that's about um, growing Jewishly and trying to find meaning within Judaism and that's uh, and make Judaism meaningful. And uh, sort of that's been my focus here for 16 years. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and and you have been very a very important part of our uh, of our synagogue for many for many years, and uh, and uh, I know you've had a very important and a very positive impact on many of our congregants. So it's good to have you back. Wow, thank you. I didn't expect <laughs> that. Thank you very much. Um, so I want to start by talking just if you can uh, talk a little bit about your personal uh, approach to the subject of Brit Milah, your feelings about the practice. Um, and you know, just a general sense of, of when you think about Brit Milah, what do you, what what does it mean to you? Well, I think uh, as an as an Orthodox Jew, I believe that the Torah is divine, and that God gave us the commandments uh, uh, Mount, on Mount Sinai, and uh, and I follow the uh, interpretive tradition of of our people, and that it gives us circumcision, the mitzvah of, of Brit Milah as we have it today. So I sort of start with that, that I'm presented with this is what Jews are supposed to do to their male children. Um, at the same time, uh, I, I don't want to abandon my own personal thoughts about it and that they, they play a role. And so I think that it's important to think about uh, what we're doing and um, you know, and th- those do not necessarily change the, the law as we have it today, but it is our, our, our thoughts about it, our questions, our struggles um, are all part of the halachic process. And so um, we don't know what will happen in 30 or 50 years, how we will understand this law, um, how we'll understand, you know, what did God mean when God asked us to do this? Um, that's an ongoing uh, process. So the way I have it now, uh, we've circumcised both of our boys. Um, and um, it was not a question halachically to do it, but it's certainly every moment I think about it, I think it's a very, um, it's a ritual which strikes me as very strange. You know, there are other rituals we're gonna about that, that strike me as strange. We're going to shake a lulav and, and, and a citron and an etrog and a palm and... There are actually many very strange rituals, but you know this is a, it's very difficult because this ritual causes pain, uh, and you know I'm not sure. I know that uh, in cut, uh, it might you know I think there are different opinions about how much pain it causes, and uh, 
Um, and actually, you know, in my own, from what I've seen and doctors I've spoken to, uh, I, I am the, of the belief that it causes less pain than, than many other, than others argue. But still, it's hard to deal with a ritual that, that strikes me as strange, that uh, causes pain, uh, and, and that certainly is, is, does not ask the child, do you want to do this? You know, a lot of, I talk about it at a, at a circumcision. I don't do a lot of talking. I let the Moel do his thing. But, you know, I'll talk about, like, this shows the child's commitment to Judaism, but it is a little bit strange because it's really not the child. The child doesn't really have a choice uh, at eight days old or close, a little bit more than eight days sometimes. But um, we did have a case here where a kid was adopted uh, and uh, was circumcised at 10 or 11 years old, 11, I think, still a minor, uh, but a little bit more, it was a choice that he that he made. Um, so it's strange from those three perspectives that it's it's a sort of a strange ritual anyway, as many rituals are. We don't throw things out because of that, because um, it causes pain. Some rituals do, you know, not the same way, but they require sacrifice. Kashrut sometimes requires a lot of sacrifice, keeping kosher. And then this one also, but this one also that's not a, an adult choosing to do it. So all those cause me to um, think hard about it, which is part of the halachic process. Just having a discomfort with a law doesn't mean that you don't do the law, but it also doesn't mean that you forget about your discomfort with the law. And that's why I really actually like uh, cut and I like this process that, that Ellie, you're, you're undergoing of, uh, you know, questioning it and uh, shaking it up a little bit. And uh, let's, you know, look, let's look through it and, See what we come up with. Um, a lot of people have the impression that if they don't circumcise their boys, a lot of Jewish people feel that if they don't circumcise their boys, that in some way he is less of a Jew. Can you address that perception? Is there any truth to that? Where does that idea come from? Um, well, the, the Torah gives a uh, talks about a status of someone, or, or in the language of the Torah, it seems that the person has... There's a status of an arel, of someone who is not circumcised. A lot of times this refers to the Gentiles who are uncircumcised. Even, but actually when you look in the Talmudic literature, even Gentiles who are circumcised, uh, like uh, Ishmaelites and uh, uh, the precursors of, Mu of Muslims, and they're also called legally arelim, and... The prophets, of course, talk about the Jewish people even being physically circumcised. They're still, our hearts are uncircumcised, so we still have that status. So there is, you know, but there is this, this the, the language in the Torah of, of Arel. You know, we don't rule, we don't make legal rulings based on the written Torah. The written Torah inspires us and does many things. It's whole, the Holy Word of God, but it's not a halachic book. And uh, when you look in the literature of the rabbi. Certainly, there are some rituals which you don't have now. Uh, eating the, the sacrificial uh, lamb of, of Pesach, uh, Korban Pesach, uh, we, uh, you, you can't be uncircumcised. You have to be physically have a brit milah to eat that. But we don't have that anymore. Uh, and we make a lot of efforts to show at the Seder that we're not uh, actually going to sacrifice the Paschal lamb. So uh, really, um, there, there isn't a, uh, a 
something different about a person that is not circumcised, uh, at least from a Jewish legal status. Now, it's I think it's kind of uh, similar in, in a sense, not necessarily in you know the the, the uh, severity or, or the the seriousness of the mitzvah, but uh, tattoos. You know, there's all this stuff about you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery with a tattoo, and and you can't uh, you know you can go to the mikvah with a tattoo, all this stuff, which is uh, bunk, or maybe it was you know enforced at a certain time because they wanted to uh, you know not give an incentive. Uh, they wanted to scare people away from having tattoos, but that's a similar kind of thing with circumcision. Now you know. I sometimes we have these taboos in Judaism, uh, intermarriage. Now, I mean, maybe at one point, uh, uh, tattoos, making sure that you are circumcised, and you know that's religions use that, uh, and it helps keep people doing the commandments. So. There is, I don't want to be the one that says, don't worry about it, you know. And it's certainly an important mitzvah, and it, it's very, I mean, the Torah f- considers it very important. It's at the level of karet, the le- level of uh, other mitzvah, like Shabbat, or like uh, eating the uh, fat and the chalev from animals. So if you eat non-kosher food, meat, a lot of times you're eating chalev, uh, and uh, Shabbat, many uh, Shabbat is more serious than than bris. So, um, you know, what percentage of Jews keep Shabbat, and what percentage of Jews keep circumcision? Let's say in Israel, it's even probably even more stark. Um, so, um, you know, I don't want to be the one that breaks this taboo, and then no one is going to people aren't going to keep circumcision. But the on the other hand, I really believe strongly that. Um, that our religion, uh, for it to work now in today's society where it's so open, it has to be because you want to do it. It has to be because it's meaningful for you. Um, and that's the way people are going to do Shabbat, not because they're, people are not going to treat them as Jews if they violate Shabbat. And that's the way people are going to keep kosher. And that's the way, ideally, People will want to circumcise their children because they say, this is my tradition, I believe in it, and even if I have discomfort, or my child has discomfort, I'm going to do it. So, uh, yeah, there is a, sort of the, uh, a, a taboo associated with it, but um, beyond the obligation to circumcise your child and for the person themselves when they become bar mitzvah to be circumcised, Beyond that obligation, there's the, the, the stuff about their status and who they are as a Jew. They're just as Jewish as anyone else. Right. Um, and I was, th- I was thinking about this aspect of the issue. We, we, you touched on karet. And so oftentimes I'll tell people, well, basically sort of mirroring what you just said, which is that, you know, there's, there, there's a, a lot of imagination about the consequences, the ritual religious Jewish consequences about not being circumcised, but it's so much a figment of people's imagination. And the retort to that will be, well, I mean, the, the, the Bible clearly states that, that the punishment for not being circumcised is karate. Can you talk a little bit about karate? Um, uh, touch on a number of points, if you would. Number one, what is it? Number two, in the case of circumcision, to whom does it apply? The father who doesn't circumcise or the person who's not circumcised? And number three, 
at what point does this punishment kick in? Okay, so, uh, I mean, kareg means a lot of various things. It could mean uh, dying before, uh, at a young age, of course, before you're 60, of course. God forbid, when anyone dies young, we have some of the most righteous people, you know, in our religion and, 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 and in our tradition that die young. So God forbid do we ever say that, that there's karet involved when actually someone does die young. But theoretically, it could be a, a premature death. Um, it could be, uh, you know, again, not having children. Uh, you know, ariri, karet ariri. It's sort of... Uh, so in general, it's an idea of being cut off from the people. And in general, it's... Um, for instance, eating on Yom Kippur is karet, uh, and uh, uh, you know I, you know everyone that does these breakfasts uh, before sunset on Yom Kippur, you know, sorry, that's the punishment. It's karet. So, but you know, with karet, it's very different from getting the death penalty from the courts because you can do tshuva, you can repent uh, for it, and. Uh, we have a lot of examples of people that were, you know, supposed to be killed, and then they repented, and then they weren't killed. Uh, King Ahab, Ahab is one example, and uh, back and forth. So it's really considered something that you actually can do, you can repent for. Um, my, uh, it's good question, but my understanding is that actually it's not an Easter curate for the father, and maybe, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the father has a, a Torah obligation to circumcise his son, uh, but if he doesn't, it's it's the son himself when he becomes an adult um, has a, an obligation to circumcise himself. It's kind of funny, I guess. If he dies before he has circumcised himself, then retroactively he violated it and he was liable of karate. But um, you know, once he, um, it, it, um, if he circumcises himself as an adult, then uh, he's not, uh, my understanding is he's not high of karate anymore. So um, it, uh, again, it's, it's a, a Torah obligation. It's actually an obligation to do it right on the, the right day, on the eighth day, as close, you know, and, and not before, but not far, not after. But um, it's, um, uh, Karate is um, is really an indication that the Torah takes it seriously. But um, as far as um, worrying about, uh, I can't tell people what to worry about. But it's 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 a lower level of capital punishment than the Torah. Right. And based on what you're saying, and this is my understanding too, if a person is not circumcised, number one, it's not the father who didn't circumcise him that gets the karate. Number two, if that person chooses to circumcise, circumcise themselves as an adult, then that gets rid of the karate punishment, mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. that basically the, the ethical argument that I talk about, which is about leaving the decision up to the individual, in that situation, karate is not really a factor because the person can repent, as it mm -hmm. were, and have mm -hmm. himself circumcised as an adult when he chooses to do so. Right. Uh, furthermore, I, I mean, and I'd like to get your, your feeling on this, but... Um, I mean, we, we know that a vast majority of American Jews circumcise their babies in hospitals. Um, and I've heard from a particular r religious perspective, of, I consider a very honest religious perspective, that if the choice is 
getting him circumcised in a hospital in a non-ritual setting or leaving him intact, it may actually be preferable religiously to leave the boy intact because you're then not precluding him from participating in the ritual. What do you think about this idea? Well, it's a very good point. Um, I would maybe go even further um, that if it's not... Now, uh, if it's not going to be a ritual circumcision, it's going to be a medical circumcision, uh, you might have an Easter Chabalah. You might have a Torah violation of wounding a child, wounding a, a human being. There's a Torah violation of creating a wound. Um, you can create a wound for health reasons. You can create a wound sometimes uh, you know, for very strong, even uh, you know, semi-health, semi-cosmetic reasons. But... Um, if you're not going to be doing it as the ritual of circumcision, there might be an issue of, of Chabala. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that, um, you know, I could see that from a Jewish public policy point, you might want to say, look, at least they're getting them medically circumcised. They're not fulfilling the mitzvah, uh, and they aren't. And But at least, you know, they're part of the tradition, and they think they're being part of the tradition, and... That's nice. So, you know, I'm not dismissing that. You could come up with the argument that as far as Jewish communal public policy, just get people to get circumcisions, whether they're halachically valid or not. But you could definitely see the other side, that uh, if you want uh, a Jewish circumcision, I mean, whether it's a reform or conservative orthodox or whoever, but just a Jewish circumcision, that's fine. But if you're just going to do it in the hospital... Um, you know, not as part of a, a ceremony, then I, you, you could make the argument, definitely say, don't do it. And I, I, I you know, cut, for the most part, really, um, you know, I don't know, Ellie, your point uh, is a little different, but the people, the intactivists on cut are always very careful to say, you know, we're not talking about ritual circumcision. And they might also be against ritual circumcision, but they're careful to make a distinction. And, and I think that's very good. I think definitely if you're not, if it's about a medical, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever the reason for doing circumcision that's not religious, uh, well, that's very questionable. I would, I would definitely think, you know, again, also we could disagree on the medical and, and uh, ethical medical issues, but um, I think you're right. It's a very good point that there's there really a lot of questions unless you're doing it as far as, as as far as a ritual, and your ritual could be done in the hospital. You could get you know, but uh, that's not usually how it's done. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I guess that brings up the the whole idea of Kabbalah. That 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 brings up a really interesting point that I've been struggling with also, which is um, when I look at other values in the Jewish tradition, and this comes back to what you were talking about, this being a very strange ritual. It seems to contradict a whole number of other Jewish values. One of them being that you're really forbidden from making permanent alterations to your body. This is definitely a permanent alteration to the body. But even more so, there's a very great sensitivity in Jewish law to um, human life. And we know today, and the rabbis certainly knew at the time of the Talmud, we have stories in there, that children die from this procedure. So how, how do you deal with that dissonance? Yeah, a lot of it is, uh, well, a couple of things. One is that um, in the laws of injuring yourself or making a mark on your body, uh, we kind of go with the flow, like as far as like piercings. So 
there are some the rabbis that were saying, like, how can you allow an earring or a nose ring or whatever? And in general, we'd say, well, if everyone in society is piercing things, then it's okay. It's not really injuring. So you might say that that's sort of, um, as far as our, our ethics go, a little bit of tampering with the body, we kind of follow what everyone else is doing, which is also strange in itself. But, you know, very religious people do have earrings and... Uh, we have a lot of people with nose rings or, you know, in the shul. So, um, but um, I, I think that um, there, the discussion in the Talmud that in the, in the wilderness uh, in the first 40 years, people did not circumcise themselves because they were afraid of, uh, it was a dangerous uh, time. Um, and, you know, you, you'll see, I don't know what... Um, I think that's something to keep in mind. I think that's something to, for now, uh, we have a lot of things. One thing is like Shomer Ptaim Hashem. We have this concept that we sometimes do things that are dangerous. We drive cars, that's dangerous. Uh, you know, riding bicycles. I mean, there's so many people, unfortunately, that have bicycle in, in, uh, injuries. So we do some things that are dangerous, and that's also kind of, kind of like if people are doing them all the time, and in general, they're doing okay, then um, it's then then we do them. I mean, you know, if the circumstances were that people were uh, afraid of, like for instance, with smoking, people are trying to stop smoking. That's when it really becomes forbidden uh, because um, it's something people realize is dangerous, and they're not doing. They're trying to avoid doing it. Um, so um, it seems like you know, circumcision. As much as there are you know tragic cases. Where people die, the, the numbers are so low that it's sort of in this area of Shomer Ptaim Hashem, of that, you know, we do it. Um, and then you might say that uh, circumcision sort of is this great, one of the great exceptions uh, where it does seem to, to butt uh, heads with other values. We, uh, with this Israel, with securing, you know, the state of Israel, sometimes we do things that. Uh, would seem to be, you know, you know, why are we doing this? You know, why are we, uh, you know, uh, forced to uh, hurt people uh, in order to secure ourselves? But sometimes you do have to do that. Sometimes values do con conflict. But I think the critical thing, and I think you bring that out, is to think about it. Don't ignore the fact that the values are conflicting. And so in Israel, as long as I'm not saying what political side you're on, uh, you always have to think about, well, maybe this is a time when we're emphasizing one value over the other, but, you know, we got that always has to be in the back, in the, for, in the forefront of our minds. Uh, so this too. When you have a situation, I'm going to ask a very general question, and obviously this relates directly to circumcision for me, but when you have a situation in which um, you as a member of the Jewish people and a person who's invested in the Jewish tradition, find a practice that isn't just something that you're uncomfortable with, but you think is actually wrong. What do you do? You need to speak out. You need to, uh, I gave a sermon a couple of weeks ago, uh, Al Domi, you know, that, that we, uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah demands that God not be silent. And we have to demand that we're not silent. And uh, if you feel that there's something that's wrong, uh, that's wrong Jewishly, and that's wrong, you gotta you gotta speak out. 
and you have to demand of rabbis to look at the sources and to defend it. Uh, and, uh, and that's the way halacha needs to work. It needs to have people arguing, and, and it needs to, there should be no sacred cows. There should be no uh, laws that are so central that people say, this is obvious, or this is clear what the Torah means. And you know, this applies with area in the areas of uh, homosexuality, applies in the areas of egalitarianism. It applies, uh, you know, uh, in, in, many, uh, in many other areas that we have to say, you know, what this, if it feels wrong, and if you think it's wrong, then you have to publish, you have to write about it, and, and then, you know, you might, you'll get pushback, and maybe you are, I mean, it's, I'm one opinion, uh, someone has one opinion about a certain issue, people will write, need to respond to you. It's not, uh, we don't go to a prophet or, or some you know, mystic who just comes up with the truth. It's part of a, of a debate and an open debate and everyone has a right to do that. And, and that way, uh, if something, something might seem strange, uh, let's say observant of, observance of Shabbat, I think in the 1950s, you know, how are we going to do that? How are we going to have American society and people still keeping Shabbat? Well, you see that, uh, you know, Joe Lieberman now has a book about Shabbat and he was a, you know, is a very prominent figure in America keeping Shabbat. So it seemed very strange, like this is not going to work, this Shabbat thing, this strict observance, and it does work. But other things will seem strange, and the halachic debate will show us that what we thought was the law was not the law. Uh, and nothing is sacred. Everything is sacred, uh, but nothing is off the table. Great. Um, I guess if you had any final thoughts about, um, well, I get a lot of flack for cut. Right, right. <laughs> um, I was wondering if... Um, you do if if for you for your participation and i mean you've been supportive to a large extent of this project i was wondering if you've got any flack um and also um how you would address a family uh, members of your community who came to you and said we don't want to circumcise our son because we feel it's wrong um I haven't gotten a lot of flack for this, surprisingly. You know, the issues that, that first of all, the, the Triangle K, <laughs> you know, there's a, the, the supervision that it's, it's some people question, and I just question maybe it is a, a good hashkacha, and, whatever, and that I got most flack from. Uh, then uh, homosexual issues, like I supported civil unions. It's not a, like a big deal, but I got a, a flack for that. So I don't know, the... Um, the um, I think the Orthodox community, it's interesting because I think the Orthodox community, at least in Chicago, they're not worried about circumcision and they're not threatened yet by cut. So it's not a big deal. Um, uh, but um, the, uh, the, the second question, uh, you know, I counsel people to do what, to think about things carefully. Uh, and to do, you know, what they think is right. I just, you know, after Yom Kippur, someone was talking to me about he's dating a non-Jew and he wants to think of marrying her and can he convert the kids? Uh, and, you know, and I talked to him about compatibility, but, I'm, uh, but I want to be supportive of people in their, in their process. And I want them to 
try to embrace Judaism uh, and work it into their lives as they see fit. And if there's a family that's, you know, wants to be part of this, the community and the synagogue and Judaism and this thing doesn't work for them, well, it's just like embracing a family where kashrut doesn't work for them or Shabbat doesn't work for them or other things don't. And I, I would want this family to know that I think circumcision is important and they should, but um, I would embrace them and, and respect them for their decision. And the key thing is just that people don't run away from Torah, don't run away. There, there's a, uh, one of our members has a son who is gay and he's really alienated from Torah uh, and, and from the community and the tradition. And that's very sad. And I want to, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in our tradition and, you know, you work, work on it as you can. And it's, um, we're in a time where everyone has to be embraced. And I would definitely, I would definitely embrace them. Again, you know, I believe that that's the, the law is to circumcise your son. Absolutely. But I also believe that uh, we have to welcome everyone and we have to make Judaism relevant uh, to, to everyone. I mean, you hear stories about rabbis who won't um, perform a bar mitzvah for a boy right. who's intact or things like this. Um, it always struck me as uh, punishing the wrong person almost. Yeah, but you know that Rav Moshe Feinstein has the, a tshuva where he said if, if a, a person's father's not Jewish, or the mother intermarried, you can't bar mitzvah the kid. And so, you know, there's sort of this old world, and maybe it worked, I don't know, 50, you know, maybe smacking kids worked at some point, and all these things, or maybe it didn't work, but they thought it worked. Uh, and uh, now, you know, it's, I've even, it's sort of similar to the intermarriage issue, you know, uh, should you sit shiva, or do you go to the wedding of an intermarriage? And it's, uh, even in the ultra-Orthodox world, they're reconsidering some of these views of, of exclusion and, uh, you know, castigating and excommunicating people for all this. And we're, it doesn't work nowadays. And, uh, and I, yes, I think morally, ethically, it's very, you know, it's very questionable, this poor kid. Uh, uh, and, and frankly, I don't know if once he's 13 in American law, if he's allowed to do it until he's 18 or 16 or something. So... You know, to blame the kid? No, you got to embrace. Judaism has to bring people in and embrace them and be so happy that they want to be members of the synagogue or the kid is coming to Minyan. I'd be overjoyed if a 13-year-old kid uncircumcised comes to Minyan. That'd be great. We'll give him any honor. I think it's, you know, um, it's interesting, you know, in this, uh, thank God, I think in, in this shul and in some other shuls, people are very tolerant, more than tolerant, very embracing not as fully embracing of, as everything as we should be, but that's the direction to go in, definitely. Robert Patton, thank you so much Thanks. for participating. Thank you, and good luck. And good luck with, you know, you embracing your Judaism. That's what's just so beautiful, how passionate you are and that you're not going to let anyone chase you away. Thank you very much. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.